is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Now we've got this morning uh, to look at our second session in the book of Nehemiah. Now as a preacher, this is particularly hard going. Those of you who have ever preached will understand what I mean because I'm used to taking a verse or two or maybe at the outside a chapter and delivering a message on that. Well, this morning I'm going to do my best to summarise the last seven chapters of Nehemiah, which is quite hard going for anybody. But we did feel recently, particularly after it was the prayer meeting earlier in the year, that we should spend, I felt stirred to spend a couple of weeks in Nehemiah drawing out some themes. Now, it is a book that we've preached through. Uh, it's a few years ago I preached through Nehemiah in a whole series. Um, but I just wanted to highlight a few themes to us, really off the back of what we felt God was saying to us in a prayer meeting earlier in the year. So uh, part one from a few weeks ago is online. If you missed that, you can download it from the website. But just to give a, a brief overview, Nehemiah has gone back to Jerusalem now and is leading the people in rebuilding the wall around the city. Now, let's be clear, this is not just a sort of nice garden ornamental wall that you might have in your back garden. This is a pretty solid structure, and it secures the city of Jerusalem. It keeps enemies at bay, and actually for the wall to be a ruin, when it was in a fairly ruinous condition, was actually a disgrace for the city and a disgrace for the people of God. And so Nehemiah had gone back to, to lead the charge to rebuild the wall. And he did just that. And in 52 days, we're told that the wall was rebuilt. And that's what we got to last time at the end of chapter 6. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you'd like to uh, turn or click to, whichever you're doing, to Nehemiah chapter 7. Uh, and we'll look at some, a variety of verses as we work for our way uh, through the second half of the book this morning, looking at some themes that we pick up and I'm trusting are some subjects that God wants us to touch upon. So, shall we pray? And then we'll look at it together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your words to us. We thank you for the wonderful privilege we have of worshipping you, the living God. We thank you that we have your living and active word to us as well. Uh, Lord, we thank you. We have the word incarnate in Jesus and we thank you for your written word. We thank you for this book. Um, we love it, Lord. And we love to study and to read it. And we pray now as we spend just these few moments uh, skimming over these chapters in Nehemiah, that the themes that we touch, God, I pray that you would do us good, that you would teach us. Holy Spirit, come and be our teacher, please, this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, clearly we don't have time to read the, uh, all the chapters together this morning, but I would encourage you, if you're looking for something to read through in your uh, sort of private devotional time with the Lord, Nehemiah is a good book to get hold of. It's got some great material in there, particularly if you're a leader in any situation, then you'll find lots in Nehemiah to stir you and encourage you and to help you. So I would encourage you to, to read through it. But what I'm going to do, we're going to go through chapter by chapter, draw out a couple of themes each time, and uh, we'll draw it together at the end, and uh, we'll see what God has for us. 
to Nehemiah chapter 7. If you've got your Bibles open, you'll see that in front of you uh, a list of people. And we've got in chapter 7 mostly a list of names and of numbers. Now, uh, sometimes I've heard people say this. People say things like, oh, God's only interested in a faceless, nameless army. Or, you know, or maybe people say, oh, God's not into numbers. That's not important. Well, both those things are nonsense, really. Because if you look through God's word time and again, you'll find lists of people. They're not just made up names. They're individuals that God knew and that he had chosen to fulfill different things in his purposes. And, and here in, in Nehemiah chapter 7, we have uh, lists of the men of Israel and men of Bethlehem and the priests and Levites and gatekeepers and temple servants. And uh, these are sort of heads of families. And these are people, real people that were involved in God's story. You see, God knows you by name as well. Sometimes you can think that, oh, you, you know, you, you might be just sort of turn up to church and God doesn't really know you but you, you know, you're there and you maybe sing some songs and, and hear something said about his word but actually God knows you he knows you by name he's chosen you he knows everything there is about you and the good news is he still loves you <laughs> God knows everything there is about me and he still loves me that's proof of the miraculous if ever you needed anything see God knows us by name and as for numbers, well, I mean, there's a whole book of the Bible devoted to them, isn't there? In the Old Testament. And here again, you've got numbers and, and lists of people. You see, God is interested in individuals. And this book, time and time again, tells us of the interaction between a heavenly God and earthly people. It tells us the story of what happened. And you can open up your Bible at any page and see the interaction between God and man. His desire for relationship with them. You see, God is interested in people. And this morning, friends, you need to know he's interested in you. Even if you think you've written yourself off, God says, no, I'm interested in you. And whilst it's true that God's word to us in written form in the Bible is complete, actually his story of working with individuals is still going on. You this morning are a living testimony to that. He's still working with you and working in your life. Just one verse to, to highlight here in, uh, in Nehemiah chapter 7. Nehemiah says this, he says, I put in charge, verse 2, Nehemiah 7 verse 2. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. I wonder, could that be said of you? Are you a man or woman of integrity? That's quite a testimony to have, isn't it? If somebody describes you as a man or woman of integrity. I was uh, uh, with a friend in a local pub this week, and uh, we were, were chatting together after a meeting we'd both been at. Uh, and a friend of his came in and sat down and, and was talking with us. And it turns out this guy, who I hadn't met before, uh, is a gas fitter, you know, a qualified gas fitter. I think they used to be called Corgi 
accredited, didn't they? There's something else now, gas safe or, or something. Anyway, this guy has got that accreditation, got the label on the side of his van, and that's what he does. And he was saying how in the last week or so, somebody he, he knows had asked him to accredit a boiler installation that had been done in, in his extension or something. And he was saying to this, this guy, you know, you, you know, you've got the certificate, you've got the badge, can you just come along and, and write out a yellow bit of paper, whatever it is, and just let's, let us have that, keep the building inspector off my back and it'll all be good, you know, slip your 20 quid, job done. And this guy was saying, I, I, just, I just don't know what to do, I just don't think it's right. And my friend and I were saying, you know what, it doesn't sound right to us either. Why? Because it's your reputation that's at stake. Now, apart from the fact this guy's safety is at stake in his rather questionable installation of gas equipment, for this guy we were chatting to of an evening, we were saying that it's not just this house that's at stake, but it's your reputation as an installer. You've done the training, you've got the badge, you can, you can sign the forms, and it's your reputation and your integrity that's at stake here. And he was like, yeah, I realise that. Thank you for the, the helpful discussion. You know, he knew that was right, but he was you know, just trying to turn it over in his mind. And he was saying, no, it is right, because our reputation's important to me. And this guy's safety is important as well. And we're saying, that's right, you got it right. Because someone's integrity and reputation takes years to build. Think about it for a moment. It takes years to build your reputation or your integrity. But you can lose it in just a moment. If you make the wrong call, for him, if you signed the wrong bit of paper. For you, if you made the wrong phone call or made the wrong decision. You, you can lose it in a moment. Every seemingly little decision that is wise and godly is like a credit in your integrity account. Even if you think, oh, it doesn't really matter. No one sees, no one knows that you made the right choice. Listen, God knows. And it's like a credit in your integrity accounts. I want to urge you this morning, don't blow it. <laughs> don't take the shortcuts. Don't go and waste that investment of years building your reputation, not for your sake, but actually you're representing God. And your integrity, it's so important. It's great, isn't it, that Nehemiah could say about this chap, he's a man of integrity and he fears God most than, more than most people do. It'd be great if people said that about us, wouldn't it? Yeah. So chapter 7, your list of names and, uh, and individuals there. And then in chapter 8 it goes on. We've got word and celebration in chapter 8. Let's read a few verses from verse 2 to, to verse 4 here in Nehemiah 8. It says, So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which is made up of men and women and all who are able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. And there were others who stood with him. So Ezra here reads aloud from the book of Moses. That's the beginning of our our Old Testament. We're told in, in the book of Ezra, actually Ezra 7 verse 10, that Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. That's a description of Ezra himself. And so we're told here that Ezra reads aloud 
God's law, and we're told to, then the Levites helped people understand it. So Ezra declared it, and the Levites helped people to get hold of it and to apply it to their lives. I guess uh, that was probably in smaller groups, so that's a good illustration of us preaching and then applying it in life groups during the week. But it's that sort of feel. You know, God's law is being read, and then others are coming along saying to the people, let's help you to understand it and to apply it. And clearly this had an effect on people. Clearly this changed what was going on. We'll see what in just a moment. But before we look at that, let's consider for a second how they valued the word of God. You see, this is God's word to us. And they, they highly valued what was being taught to them. I think for us, in the West particularly, it's so often, to take, it's so often easy to take this book for granted. Do you know what I mean by that? It's easy to take for granted the fact that we've got God's Word in a way that is easily accessible for us. I guess many of us would have multiple copies. Maybe you've got several Bibles at home. Maybe you've got one on your phone or your laptop. You could just go onto the internet and and onto various Bible websites and read it easily. If, If your reading isn't too good, you could listen to it on a CD. It is easy for us to, to access God's words. That hasn't always been the case throughout history. If you look back in, in history, it isn't always the way. Men and women have died for this book and died for the sake of having it in a form that is easily readable for the, to the common man and woman. And there are still places in the world today where it's illegal to own a copy of the Bible. Well, North Korea would be one example. According to Wycliffe Bible Translators, there are around 350 million people who have no scripture in their language, in their native language. There are also almost 2,000 translation projects currently underway, and with another 2,000 needed. Yet you and I, we've got as many copies as we can lay our hands on, haven't we? Easily accessible. For the people in Nehemiah's time, they were hearing God's word, they were being taught it, they were being helped to apply it, and apply it, they really did. They responded, and as we shall see, they celebrated, they worshipped, and they confessed sin. It had an effect on their lives. It changed things for them. Nicky Gumbel said this just this week, the Bible feeds our souls, warms our hearts, illuminates our minds and changes our lives if we let it I would add the Bible feeds our souls warms our hearts illuminates our minds and changes our lives are you allowing God's word to do that for you let's not take it for granted let's open up our lives to God's living words allow it to do us good So for the people in Jerusalem here, God's word had an impact on them. So Nehemiah 8 verse 9 says that then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. See it cut them to the heart. They've been been challenged by it. They were weeping. 
But Nehemiah didn't allow their response to stay like that. He goes on in verse 12 of Nehemiah 8. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Once they understood God's word, they celebrated with great joy. I wonder, was that what you would expect? <laughs> so they did. They celebrated because they understood God's word to them. Mark Twain once said, it's not the parts of the Bible I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. Are you reading it? Are you understanding it? What's your plan for reading God's Word? Maybe Bible reading notes or a plan through a particular set of books. Maybe get together with a friend and, and read passages together and discuss it. Apply it to your lives. However you do it, do something to get hold of this book and to allow God to, to teach you through it. In chapter 9 of Nehemiah, um, we have confession and testimony. So the people read from the book of the law and they confessed their sins. You see, understanding brought repentance. They didn't just sort of go, oh, that's nice, or nice for somebody else. No, it changed them. Understanding God's word brought repentance from them. You see, this book isn't designed just to give you information. It's not just to read it and go, oh, that's interesting, isn't it? Now, this book is designed to lead you to its author. Designed to reveal God to you. Designed for it to help you to encounter him. This is a God-inspired publication. And as you read it, you get to meet him. Now, whatever your age is, you can start reading this book. You know, there are child versions of the Bible with a little bit easier language. So whether you're the youngest person here this morning or the oldest, you can get hold of a copy of the Bible that is, is, you know, is helpful for you to understand. Or if reading is hard for you, you can listen to it online or on a CD. But whatever way you do it, I want to encourage you to get into this. And as you do that, you get to meet God. It's about Him. And about His desire for a relationship with you. So the people realised their need of forgiveness, they were repentant. And after confessing their sin, the Israelites then reminded one another of all that God had done. It's like giving their testimony. And they remind each other of God's faithfulness. And they remind each other of what God had done in the past. And in doing so, it wasn't just a history lesson, but they were stirring faith. They were reminding one another that God had been good to them in the past. And he's going to be good to them in the future as well. Even as we were doing this morning. As we were praying out saying, God, thank you that you've been faithful before. Thank you that you'll be faithful again. See, God's word teaches us about that. And our experience teaches us about that as well. There's a great example here in Nehemiah 9 of how to pray. You, know, when you remind yourself of what God has done and that stirs faith for the future where challenges are ahead of us and you're not quite sure of the way to go. You think, well, you know what? God's been faithful before. He's going to be faithful again. His word teaches us that and our experiences teaches us that as well. And that's what's happening here in Nehemiah 9. They were sharing these stories of what God had done before and that encouraged their faith for what God was going to do in the future.
in Nehemiah 10, they commit themselves then to living by the law that they've just understood, they've just heard. So Ezra's preaching was still bearing fruit here. So there was sorrow and the rejoicing, repentance and prayer. And now there are promises they make as well. Promises about being obedient to God's word. Promises actually as well about tithing and offerings, tithes and offerings. So these promises about giving are obviously in the context of recommitting themselves to living by God's words. And one way that they were going to do that is they were going to line themselves up to what God's word had said about giving and about tithing, about giving offerings. You see, if you're not wholeheartedly following the Lord, this is an easy one to let slip. And clearly that's what had happened here in Nehemiah's time. They weren't wholehearted in following the Lord. And this had, this had been let slip. And so once they understood God's word to them, once Ezra had taught it, Levites had helped them apply it to their lives, they realised that a change was needed. They realised that they needed to line up their lives to what God had said. So often we try and do the opposite, don't we? We've got our life here and we try and make God's word fit to it. That's not how it works. We take our lives and line it up to God's word. And that's what was happening here in chapter 10 of Nehemiah. And they recommit themselves to following the Lord. And it affects every area of their life, including what they do with their possessions, what they do with their money, what they do with the, uh, with the fruit of the land as they uh, farm it and get fruits. So it affects their giving to the Lord. Sam Houston, after whom the American city of Houston is named, once said this, he said, the day I got baptised, it wasn't just me that got baptised, my wallet got baptised too. It's a great quote, isn't it? Now, this is not a giving sermon, nor do we have the time this morning to spend ages on this. We do allow, need to allow, just and pause for a moment, to allow God to challenge our hearts in these things. Allow God to speak to us. I wonder, how are you doing on the giving front? For Nehemiah, in his time here, as Ezra was teaching, the, teaching God's word to the people, they realised that they needed to line up their lives to what God had said. So how are you doing? How are your finances? How's your giving to the Lord? Is it lined up with what God has said? Or are you trying to make God's word sort of fit to what you want to do? What is it for you? Has your wallet or purse been baptised? Or is it yet to get dunked in the water? <laughs> Are you honouring God with your money? With your finances? Jesus talked more about giving, generosity, where your treasure is and wealth than anything else other than the kingdom of God. Now, it's not a subject we can ignore if we're going to take seriously Christ's call to follow him. Now, every now and then we'll preach specifically on this subject and you can look online and there's been various examples of us doing that and we'll, we'll continue to do that every now and then. But before we leave this chapter, you might see as you scan through chapter 10, a couple of times you get this phrase, the people say, we assume responsibility. Do you notice that? We are, verse 32, for example, we assume the responsibility and for, for, for things that they're, they're talking about there. They're clearly making promises 
then clearly taking responsibility seriously. For fulfilling God's law and ensuring the running of the temple. Now, as far as we can tell, these were not particularly rich or well-off individuals. These were everyday folk, yet they were the ones who were up for saying, you know what, we're going to take responsibility for this. We're going to take seriously God's word and put it into action. And friends, this morning, I want to encourage us as a church to take responsibility for what God wants to do in us and through us here. Now, for those of you who are regularly giving, if you're part of Jubilee, you're regularly giving, thank you. Thank you for generosity. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for being committed to what God wants to do. Thank you for lining your life up with God's words. If you're regularly part of us here and you haven't quite got that area of your life together yet, then I want to encourage you. Bring your life under the lordship of God's words. If that's an area that you maybe need help in or need to talk to someone about or pray about or need some help working some stuff out, then we're happy to do that. There are those in the church who would love to sit down with you and help you with that. But let's together take responsibility. If you want more information on giving and finances in the church, there's some packs on the table in the foyer and you can come and talk to us afterwards. That's helpful as well. So let's keep pressing on. Chapter 11. So in chapter 11, you have uh, the example of the new community. The new community. And Nehemiah was interested in far more than just rebuilding the physical wall. That's what he went to do. That's what he set out to do, and it was done in 52 days. But actually, what he was about was much more than just building a physical structure. What Nehemiah was wanting to do was to create a new community. So the wall symbolised something. The wall symbolised that the city was secure, that God was with them, and they were going to do something about forming their community under God's words. You see, Nehemiah was bringing hope to broken people. It wasn't just about a physical wall. It's about much more than that. He was establishing a way of life that would honour God's and be good for the people and the city. So just the act of moving to Jerusalem didn't create a new community. That's just people moving. That didn't do it. Even moving, um, you know, you may be, well maybe you found that. Maybe you've moved to a new place. And you'll know that just by a physical act of moving somewhere, that doesn't create community, doesn't make friends. It actually takes more than that, doesn't it? Even moving to a new church doesn't guarantee feeling part of community. Just a physical act of showing up isn't enough. Actually, there's more to it than that. Community has to be created. That's what Nehemiah was doing here. He was wanting to create a new community. And friends, for us as well as we look across Jubilee, community has to be created. It doesn't just happen automatically. For a new community to form, there are those who set out to create it, others who want to be part of it, and it takes everyone to continually welcome new people into it. Actually, the onus is on all of us. If we're going to apply it straight to us, then the onus is on each one of us to create and be creative in creating that community. So we're setting out, aren't we, as a church, to create a new community, one that will demonstrate to this city and indeed other places that we're working in time, the grace, the love and mercy of God 
what we're about, isn't it? It's not just about having a meeting. The meetings are good. You know, I like meeting together. Most of you are happy, smiley people on a Sunday morning. Looking out there. So I love meeting together. I love worshipping the Lord together. I love being under God's word as we, as we hear it preached to us. But just those things doesn't create community. One of our core values is loving one another. Why? Because it sounds good? Because it looks nice on a brochure? No, no, it's because what Jesus said is what he commanded us to do, to love one another. And as we do that, then we start to form community. That's how it starts to form. So maybe you feel already that you're totally part of the community we call Jubilee. If so, great. I'd say to you, carry on inviting other people into it and to be part of it. Maybe for you, that you're just looking in, you've been around a while, you're just beginning to suss out, is this where God wants you to be? You're thinking, is this the right church or where God is calling me to be part of? You're thinking, you know, can I be part of what God's doing here? Then my invitation to you is to get stuck in, to become part of the community that we're seeking to build here. I want to invite you, come and be part of it. It's not perfect. None of us are perfect, actually, so please don't be under the misapprehension that it is, or that we are, because we're not. But we're actually trying to create a community that loves one another and loves the Lord. So under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, that's what we're trying to do, isn't it? Build a community that love God, love one another, love those who don't know Jesus yet, serve the city and reach nations. That's what we're trying to do as we look at building our lives together in a way that honours Jesus. And so if you're looking in this morning, you might be thinking, well, I'm just wondering if this could be the place for me. I want to invite you to come and be part of it. Come and be part of the journey and see what God would have, uh, have you do and what contribution you can make to what he's doing here. But let's make sure, friends, as well, that we're continually inviting people in. It's very, very easy to get comfortable. As a church grows, it's very easy to get comfortable and think, oh, we've made it now. You know, there are more than just a half a dozen people around now. And we can do a few things together and you know, the band's sounding good and it's a nice venue. Now you can easily think we've made it or we've somehow got somewhere. Actually, we're just beginning. We're just beginning. There's a great task that God has given us to do in reaching this city and other places he's calling us to. It's actually, rather than thinking we've made it, we should just be looking around and thinking, well, it's just like having a, a great big church planting core. Here we go again. Let's keep going. Let's keep going for what God is wanting us to do. It's so easy to get comfortable, not just in nice comfy seats, as you all have this morning, but it's so easy to get comfortable and think, oh, you know, we, we've made it now. I want to encourage us again to not think we've made it, but to think, now we can begin to reach more people for Jesus. Now we can begin to invite more people into this community that we call Jubilee. And as we grow, things will change. You, you probably won't know everybody on a Sunday morning. You might not get to sit in your usual seat. Or maybe that your small group will grow and multiply and you won't see the same people every week. There will be changes that will happen, but we need to keep in our mind that the prize of seeing more people respond to the gospel and the city and indeed nations further reach with the gospel makes it worth it. I want to remind us again this morning, friends, it's worth it. It really is. And as we grow, our small communities that we call life groups become even more important. 
That's where we build relationships and begin to get to know one another. So if you're not in one yet, I want to encourage you to get stuck into one. Find someone in the welcome team. Find out where the nearest one to you is. Come and ask me afterwards. Let's get you plugged in. Okay, a couple of chapters before we close. Chapter 12, well, that's more celebration and dedication. Lots of worship and songs of thanksgiving. You can read all about it there in, in Nehemiah 12. But let's just look at chapter 13 before we finish for this morning. Some concluding remarks about the last chapter of Nehemiah. Somebody once said it's very easy to be a Christian at a Bible weekend. So if you're a young person, you go to New Day, that's probably the easiest place it will be for you to be a Christian. Or if you come with us to North on August Bank Holiday weekend, or go to some other event like that, that's probably where you're around thousands of other people worshipping the Lord and living for Him. That's probably the easiest environment you'll find to follow Jesus. It's when Monday comes, when you're back at school or college, back at work or in the routine of life, looking after kids or, or being at home, and being involved in whatever you do, that's when it gets hard. And if you think it's hard for, for just you, well, actually, that's the case. It's always been the case because chapter 13 of Nehemiah shows us that's the case for them as well. So when Nehemiah and Ezra were around, leading the people, building a wall, where there's activity and rebuilding the temple and teaching God's word, all this was going on, that was probably the easiest time for them to live for the Lord. Because everybody's going for it. But Nehemiah had to go back to his day job. There came a time when Nehemiah went back and he left the people in Jerusalem and uh, he wasn't around anymore. So the question would be, well, how are the people going to get on then? How is it going to work out for them? Well, Nehemiah chapter 13 tells us it didn't go so well. If you read through, you'll see that someone who had opposed Nehemiah had been given a room in the temple. Giving had stopped. The Sabbath wasn't being observed. Men had married foreign women who didn't follow the Lord and so on and so on and so on. Actually, it wasn't going so well anymore. Starting well is easy. It's finishing well that's hard. The writer to the Hebrews says this in Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Friends, this morning, I want to encourage you, don't grow, don't grow weary. Don't lose heart. Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, he said, Watch your life and doctrine closely. Do you notice it's not watch someone else's life and doctrine closely. We're good at that, aren't we? It's easy to watch someone else and go, Oh, no, they're not doing so well, or I don't know what they're doing there. That's not what Paul said. He said to Timothy, listen, watch your life closely. Watch your doctrine closely. Look at how you're doing with the Lord. It's essential. It's essential. So how's your life? 
How's it going? If you look at yourself. Steve Farrer in his excellent book, Finishing Strong. And guys, that's particularly one for you. If you want a book to read, get that. Steve Farrer, Finishing Strong. It will challenge you and provoke you. But he says this. Men, it doesn't matter if you... And this is true for men and women, but he's writing particularly to me. Men, it doesn't matter if you've had a great start in the Christian life. It doesn't matter if you've stumbled time and again or even fallen flat on your face. What matters most is how you finish. The man who hangs in for the long haul with his wife, his kids and his Lord is an exception these days. Maybe only one man in ten will do it. And guys, if that doesn't challenge you, and it should do. Starting well is easy. Starting well when there are lots of other people following Jesus and worshipping him, that's the easy part. But God's word encourages us to remain faithful and to hang on in there for the long haul. Nehemiah had to come back and rebuke the people for their sin. And there's some of my favourite verses in Nehemiah 13 where he beats some of the men and pulls out their hair. Now, I'm not proposing we do that, <laughs> mostly. But I want to encourage you and encourage all of us, me included, keep running the race. Keep running the race. Stay faithful till the end. Finish strong. Finish well. Now, I don't pretend for one moment that we've got into the detail of Nehemiah over these two short weeks. But I hope that what we have done is drawn out some themes, challenged us together in some of the things that Nehemiah is writing about. You'll see how we've tied them into some other things that we're talking about as a church. I trust I've encouraged you to read the book and to allow God to speak to you through it. Let's stand together and we'll pray as we close. Father, we thank you for your word to us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that your word is living and active. As we open our lives up to it, Lord, you uh, apply it through the Holy Spirit right into our very being. And uh, God, once again, we want to say we're open to your word to us. Lord, individually, as we stand before you, we're open to what you're saying to us. Lord, we want to be open to your word as a church as well and submit ourselves to it. So, Father, we pray this morning you would help us with these things we've looked at. Father, I pray that you would help us to build community well, to welcome people in, to seek to build them well into church life and to uh, build a loving community that loves you and loves one another as well as those who don't know you yet. Jesus, please help us with these things. Help us, I pray, not to get comfortable but to keep pushing on to all that you're calling us to. Lord, for the sake of those who don't know you yet. Lord, for the sake of your glory in this city and beyond. So please help us with these things. And Father, I pray you'd help each of us to make good financial decisions that honour you. 
Help us, Lord, to get our giving sorted. If it's an area that we've struggled with, I want to pray this morning, Father, that you would uh, bring grace for that. Lord, I pray for any this morning who uh, have heard about what happened here in Nehemiah. I thought, oh, yeah, that's me. I need, to, I need to assume responsibility. Father, I pray that it wouldn't just be uh, a response in the middle of a meeting, but, Lord, it would be a life-changing event. And I pray, Father, for uh, testimonies over the coming weeks and months of those who have uh, got finances sorted and begun to honour you in a new way. And I pray that you will prove faithful, as you always do in those situations. And Father, I want to pray for each of us this morning, God, that we would finish strong, that we would finish well. Father, I want to pray, Lord God, that we would remain faithful to the end. Yeah, I don't know. why don't you just lift your hands to the Lord? I just want to pray for, for each of us. I want to pray that God will help us, that we know his grace in it. It wouldn't be something that we strive for, but that we would know a joy in remaining faithful. Father, I want to pray for each of us here this morning that, God, we would remain faithful to the end. Lord, as we've looked at Nehemiah here and seen the challenges there, as we take on board what we read in Hebrews and Timothy, Father, I want to pray, Lord God, that we would remain faithful to the end. Father, for each of us here this morning, Lord, I pray that we would finish strong, we would finish well for your glory. Father, I want to pray for any, even this morning, who are facing various challenges ahead of them. These are the things that life throws up. Father, I want to pray for your grace. Jesus, I want to pray for your joy. That this wouldn't be a thing of striving. But Lord, I pray for those who might be struggling even this morning. I pray, Father, for a fresh revelation of who you are. A fresh understanding of your grace upon their lives. And a fresh joy in experiencing you in worship and reading your words. Father, I pray for us, Lord God, you'd help us to stay faithful to the end. Lord, we thank you for your word to us. Lord, just as the people in Nehemiah uh, allowed it to do them good, I pray for each of us this morning that your word would do us good. It would build us into the sort of men and women you'd have us be, and that you'll be glorified here. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.